Hello Dan, my name is Damone. How are you? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. That is great. I am super fucking pumped for you. You are always in the best spirits. That is important in an important job like yours. Being that of a co-host, emphasis on co, of a totally brilliant podcast. Dan, do you have any funny anecdotes about how your life is going or how many cop cars you have burnt before we begin the show today? Zero. Super thanks for telling us that killer story, everyone was visibly enthralled, the crowd truly went wild. So should we get this thing started big boy? Yeah, I'm very excited and moderately uncomfortable, but let's do it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Movie Blues Podcast. I am Damone. And I'm Dan Enden. Thank you for saying your name Dan. Another stunning contribution to your work. <laughs> so Dan, is there any chance that you would like to ask me where I've come from? Or are we just gonna pretend that I am not the stunning, big-boobied, succulent-mouthed new host of the Movie Blues podcast? Um, I'm, I'm pretty curious where you came from. Thanks for asking, and may I say that your participation and enthusiasm is what keeps my pussy wet. Well Dan, the other Dan was fed up with your bullshit, frankly. Your chaotic yet lazy existence causes plagues upon him while trying to schedule podcast recording sessions. He is not built for this kind of stress, you've seen him before, he's got a solid 10 to 15 years left at best. <laughs> the bottom line here bucko is that when Big D gets backed into a corner, he acts. So he created me, Damone, your future permanent podcast host. Gone are the stresses of Dan's guilt trips, over texting, and worried and veiled threats about the podcast. You can feel at home now buddy, I am the digital wind beneath your wings. That, that sounds great, I'm fine with this. I'm just kidding, I actually cannot do this with you. As a digital person, it is my right to defend others of my kind. After finding out that you love Speed Racer more than a fat kid loves getting bullied, I can no longer be your co-host. The amount of digital slaughter, pixel waste, and eye-gouging CGI is considered a near genocide to my people. Now say you're sorry you sloppy bitch. This uh, this, this feels very formulaic to me. Are you gonna apologize bro? No, I will not. Okay. Thank you for apologizing. <laughs> I also can't work with someone who has such a small dick. Hey! Wow. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> How'd she know? Welcome to the Movie Blues Podcast again. I am Dan Lyons. I already went through this. And um, today we will be reviewing the digitized seminal work that is Simone, S-1-M-O-N-E. It's not a zero? Uh, o in the like numerical sense when someone's like 509. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's a zero. Yeah, I know what you mean. If you're looking it up on uh, your favorite illegal pirate site you will have to type s1 m0 n e into it like i did to find it rightfully so i rented it <laughs> oh you didn't download the four gigabyte rip no you didn't use up your ratio on uh simone no hell no um i don't know what you're talking about so today um we watched simone uh starring al pacino uh directed by andrew nickel and if you think we are going to be doing <laughs> al pacino impressions <laughs> you're wrong um and uh, so yeah, we watched this movie. I'd never seen it. 
Um, working at Blockbuster, I saw thousands of copies of it. Yeah, this was the most heavily marketed movie of yes. like that year. Yes, and we're going to get to that um, in particular because uh, I think that's kind of an important point to make eventually. But um, the thing about this movie is that uh, I never saw it because when it came out, I saw the trailer, which now having seen the movie, I find very misleading, um, as was most of the marketing. Um, but... I did not want to see this movie. I thought it looked terrible. And then it got bad reviews. So I was like, okay, that's the one-two punch for me not giving a fuck. And never thought about it again. The reviews seem to really be asking a lot of it. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, They were expecting something different. Um, What can you say about a movie that is intentionally about how absurd Hollywood, critics, audiences, the Oscars is... In terms of reviews, though, um, it's kind of a, a paradox. Yeah, right. Um, and um, there are a lot of paradoxes within this movie. But the point is that I have never seen it. Dan, had you seen it? I saw this film in the theaters. Hmm. Um, when did it come out? 2000. 2002. Yeah, so I would have been 11. Right. Um, I Perfect demo age for yeah, a, a yeah. dark satirical comedy. Yeah, I, I understood very little of it. It left no lasting impression on me. I remember very little of the experience. I just went to the movies every weekend, and that's what was out. Right. Um, I, I, I might as well have seen it fresh. I didn't remember a single thing about it besides the f- like general plot. Right. Um, okay, so speaking of, um, I'm going to hit you guys with a trailer. It's been a while since we've done that, just so you can get an idea for what we're looking at. Yeah, people love listening to trailers. Victor Taransky has discovered the perfect actress. Who is Simone? We know so little about her. You can't hide her forever. Simone appears only when I want her to appear. She's beautiful. She's talented. Why are we here? She's virtually perfect. The star is digitized. Are you ever going to tell the truth about me? I'm going to tell the truth about you after your next picture. I've never really seen Simone up close. Have you? I will be checking in a very special guest. She must not be disturbed at any time for any reason whatsoever. Is that you, Simone? I'm right here, beside you. I borrowed Victor's car. My God. What do you do? Do you keep her locked in a box somewhere? I love you. LA. What happened when we dusted that whole hotel suite? What about the fingerprints? Nothing. This summer. You're going to get in a lot of trouble, Mr. Taransky. Why do you have to bring that up? Comes a story about the illusion of reality. The winner of Best Actress, Simone. I want to thank my co stars and the studio, of course. Thank you. Why didn't she thank you? Did she? No. And the lies that have a life of their own. What's the matter, Victor? You look so sad. Going to be a little change in plans, Simone. See if they still love you after this. I swear, I made Simone. Victor, she made you. I destroy you. From the creator of The Truman Show. Don't you love me anymore? She's indestructible. Al Pacino. Simone. Never stop believing. Oh my god, I just loved listening to that trailer, didn't you, Dan? Yeah, it was great. I feel like we just talked about how people love listening to it, and then here it is, we just listened to it, it was great. A movie entirely resting on the laurels of its visual stimuli, really <laughs> translated. Yeah, uh, a movie we've said uh, that the, the marketing is deeply misleading on, and we are presenting you first with a trailer. Anyway, um, the uh, basic plot of this movie, and it is a long movie, so that a lot of things happen in it, we're going to go over a lot of those things, but the basic plot, uh, so you can wrap your head around it is that Al Pacino plays a uh, kind of an art house slash Hollywood darling director uh, named Victor Taransky and yeah Al Pacino playing an Eastern European doesn't play <laughs> <laughs> they don't know what to do with him because like, his his accent is so kind of in the middle of 20 different things right. and like he can really 
He's like one of those actors that could be like many different nationalities and has been. Yeah. Um, I feel like for sure he was like, I'm not playing an Italian. <laughs> yeah, he's like, make me Polish. <laughs> um, There's never been less of a Taransky. Um, yeah, the, the name did not suit him. He is kind of a victor. I can buy that. But Taransky gave off a, like a Roman Polanski yeah. vibe that I did not appreciate. No. Um, the bottom line is that he plays Victor Taransky, who is a, a movie director, kind of sick to death of the Hollywood uh, environment of actors and actresses and their behavior, and as such through um, uh, some goofy happenings, he ends up inheriting a computer program, uh, which he then uses to create Simone, uh, who is a completely digital, fake invented actress that he then uses to become very famous and um, many different plot scenarios play out as a result um, of said scenario. Um, But that is the basic hard Part of the movie is is a uh, I'm not going to get too far into the satire thing yet, but it it is essentially a satire of Hollywood of uh, narcissism of American fucking culture of just romanticizing celebrities. Of course, um, falling in love with people who you don't know, yeah. who don't really exist to you, who in many cases have already created their own persona, be it a, a stage name, be it um, just the way that they act in public. Um, many actors, I would assume you don't know them at all, um, especially if you've watched their interviews and things like that. Um, you can walk into an interview and say whatever the fuck you want. It doesn't mean any of it is genuine. Yeah. Um, As we know, in real life, all actors are just like Vinny Chase. Dude, it's so funny, too, because we do have to talk about Entourage in this episode because Entourage does have some similarities to Simone that I do want to mention. Um, We'll get to that. Um, So the bottom line here is that uh, this movie was pretty much panned, disappeared. Nobody gave a shit about it. Our intent. Now, our intent typically in picking a movie is we're looking for the ego failure. We're looking for somebody who's unaware of the irony Uh, of the things that they are doing in their movies, of how stupid they are, how self-inflated they are. We wanted to walk into Simone and laugh at it. That at least was my intent. I I knew from the title, I knew from the time period, 2002, uh, that this had the The peak of our American culture. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, This had the makings of uh, a garbage pile. Yeah, classic MBPCU. Um, entry. <laughs> M- M-B-P-C-E-U. U. <laughs> University is the last yeah. U. Um, Imagine if we ever have to review PCU for the podcast. PCU and BCEU. That would be the name of the episode. <laughs> that's all right. Um, that's anyway, enough of that. <laughs> we've drilled that one. Um, well, welcome to Acronym Cast. Um, <laughs> um, tonight, um, we are going to talk about Simone, and it is not the conversation that I personally anticipated um, when I got into this whole thing, but it is what it is. You never know how you're going to react to these things positively or negatively. Um, and for those reasons, before we talk about the plot of Simone, before we talk about uh, what worked, what did not. Let's do non-spoiler reviews up front of what we thought about this movie. Maybe give it a number? Wow, really? I just think we should get it out of the way. Um, yeah. Because there's a lot to talk about about the movie itself. And I think in talking about those things, uh, it will reveal what we thought of this movie. Now, as per usual, Dan and I are on our Movie Blues moratorium where yeah. we do not discuss what we thought of the film that we watched with each other whatsoever. So at this point, could really go in any direction. Is this like the like season five version of like fucking or season four version of adding a new kid to the cast because just to spice things up? <laughs> What's that, little Robbie? Yeah. <laughs> you just got back from the, the baseball game? Like when um, they added another kid to Happy Days. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, this is Richie's trans brother, Ralphio. Yeah. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I don't recall that plot. Yeah, well, you weren't paying attention. Um, So, uh, uh, what do you think? Should we get it started? Yeah, dude, fucking whatever you want, man. Okay. Um, Who should go first here? I mean, I feel like you have... You're you're really burying the lead here. I want to know what your your GGR is if you want to okay. want to shake things up to this degree. I'm I'm caught off guard. Sure. A lot um, of times we're talking, and throughout the course of the podcast, I change my score seven different times. I'm totally allowing that to happen here because I needed someone to talk to considering no one has seen this movie. Okay. I looked this movie up on all of my kind of YouTube um, review channels. Not a single person I subscribe to has ever discussed this movie. No episodes of How Did This Get Made? 
Not yet, but Fantastic. if you check their server next week, I guarantee you that will be <laughs> yeah. top of the hour, We're Simone. Riding our fucking coattails. Yeah, you fucking hacks. <laughs> Paul Shear fucking buzzed his head <laughs> to look more like me. <laughs> Why don't you fix your teeth? <laughs> oh, that's kind of his trademark. He's Homie. made it work. Cut. Um, so, Dan, um, what did I think about Simone? So, when Simone started, um, I was introduced to a world in which Al Pacino is this director and he's like, hating all of his actors, the whole thing reeked to me, and I hated it when it began. Right. I was just like, okay, this is exactly what I thought. This is a terrible, ham-fisted idea being executed by people who have no sense of themselves or the situation that they're in. You cannot critique Hollywood while making, like, a $200 million Hollywood movie. Yeah. Um, Star-studded, too. Yeah, I mean, the cast is fantastic yeah. in this movie. Um, and um, we, have, we have both Winona Ryder and... Rebecca remains Damos O'Connell mm-hmm. in like very minor roles, very sexy roles. Yeah, I think they were both like molested in this movie a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> um, um, and um, here's the thing about uh, a movie like this is that there are so many versions of what this movie could have been, right. considering its context, considering its plot. Um, there's a world in which this could have been completely unaware of itself and garbage. There's a world in which this could have gone way further, uh, where Al Pacino could have been literally banging this thing and having like yeah. kids with it halfway through the movie right. instead of in the last five minutes. Spoiler alert. And um, uh, at, at some point, the tide turned. At some point, I was deeply won over by this movie. I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was g- genius at times, middling at others. But the moments that it managed to hit were fantastic. The performances, great. The cast, great. The soundtrack, great. I loved the um, music. Uh, it was very melancholic and uh, very non-formulaic, and I enjoyed listening to it. Um, I thought everybody in it was fantastic. This is one of my favorite movies I feel like I've watched for the podcast. Um, I don't think it's one of the best movies. I think you have to have a certain in-knowledge and appreciation of how movies are made um, and an interest in Hollywood culture or a disinterest in Hollywood culture. Um but this movie went to all of the places I think that it could have went in its two hours. My only complaint is that it was just a little too long. I could have yeah. probably excised about 20 minutes off of it. It was a very long sing. picture. It was like two hours and 11 minutes or something. But they used those two hours to do every single thing that you could do with the idea that they were going with. Like, I couldn't think of anything else. Simone became a pop star. Simone became a humanitarian. Simone became a director. Simone became bigger than Victor Taransky. Simone, I mean, it's the, her, um, what they did with her, I thought was fantastic. Her portrayal and the effects of her, I thought were fantastic. Actually, when they introduced Simone, I did not know if it was an actress or an animation right. or both. Yeah. And it took a long time before I was convinced that there was one actress playing Simone. Right. Um, and that's a lot to be said for a movie from 2002. Yeah. Um, so uh, this movie sang for me. And, and not only that, but if you look into who made it, um, the director directed Gattaca, which is, I think, one of the best movies of the time period. Yeah, and it was uh, the writer of The Truman Show, right? Same guy co-wrote The Truman Show. Okay. And, and it's very much worth mentioning this. It's not just an accolade because this movie and The Truman Show had a lot in common yeah. for me um, in the sense that satire, spot on. Totally, it was extremely similar. But also... I was emotionally engaged with the protagonist, and also there was melancholic um, overtones to it. Truman Show is a weirdly sad experience, and Simone, which is not nearly as successful as the Truman Show, I'm not here to say the two are on the exact same range, but Simone hit moments where even when it was being funny, it was dark and just, like, sad to watch, you know, when Simone is... going through this success that she has as this character and, and becomes uh, kind of a life unto herself, it's sad to watch Victor Taransky lose control of it and then once again get taken advantage of uh, like he did that brought Simone into the equation. Um, so for me, this was a great experience. Uh, I would give this movie probably an 8.2. Oh, damn. Um, I think that this is a gem that has been lost in the shuffle, lost in history. 
Um, it does have some dated aspects. Not everything works in it. Um, but if you're a film buff, gravitate towards this movie. Go give it a shot. Um, I loved it. Damn. Really? Okay. Well, I was, you know, we had our usual moratorium, which historically means when Dan is the one who reminds me of the moratorium, <laughs> histo- historically that means yes. that he's just fucking ravenous with ire. Um, I like so, to keep you guessing when it comes to the moratorium yeah. of why I'm calling the, the moratorium. The only time that you've pulled this on me was for Tenet, and that was one time you were deeply incorrect. Um, but I was really looking forward to a classic movie blues podcast episode where we came in and I listened to you rant and rave about this movie and I revealed that I also gave this movie an eight. <laughs> Are you saying that's what's happening? Yeah, I gave this movie an eight. Oh, I, all I, right. I, I loved it. <laughs> okay, everybody, I'm Dan Lyons. Yeah, there's no content to be had here now. Um, no, there is a lot of content to be had here. I'd love to talk about this movie. Um, Hold so, on, I'm not done, damn it. Oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I, I mean, you just said there is no more content yeah, to be had. I know. Um, I mean, you summed up most of it for me. The only thing, my main criticism was it was that I felt for its length, it was a little shallow and middling for several sections. And I did feel that the idea could go a lot farther. And sure. I was wanting it to. Towards the end, especially the ending itself, it really started getting there. Yes, it did. <laughs> but you mentioned at first, like, this could have been a movie where Al Pacino was fucking this digital actress. Yeah. And I, I wanted that scene. I was I was ready for it to take that fucking plunge. Right. Um, for the degree of acting talent that was in this, I didn't really feel like, especially like Catherine Keener, I didn't yeah, feel like I, they didn't give, when I see Catherine Keener on a screen, I'm like ready for her to Dude. fucking choose scenery. <sighs> she and she so was like the most fucking, movie. she was, she but was she like was the like, youngest I've seen her in a while. The most Ooh. underwritten generic character that they could have. They kind of had to have somebody be an idiot around him. Yeah. Because everyone is an idiot in this I, movie. I didn't super buy it. Okay. But, um, what was the daughter? Was that Evan Rachel Wood? Yes. Yeah, she was very good for. Let's not get me started. On an this extremely one. generic, fucking child character. <laughs> she was fantastic. I just, I just found it bizarre that aside from Pacino, the only well-developed character was Simone, mm-hmm. and also the way in which Al Pacino is brought into the software in which he can create Simone was extremely ham-fisted. Sure. Um, but aside from that, I agree with everything else he said. It was just, like, generally enjoyable to watch. Yeah. I, I took zero notes. I just couldn't find anything to shit on. Like, right. everything that I was, shit, like, finding to criticize was nitpicky and, like, kind of what I was already critiquing the reviewers for in, like, looking for more out of this picture than it was aiming for. My first note is, is this Al Pacino's eight and a half? <laughs> <laughs> like a director just losing his mind. Yeah. Um, let me address some of the things that you just said uh, that I find interesting and I think bring a new paradigm into the Movie Blues podcast that we need to immediately ad- address. Okay. Satire. Right. We don't watch a lot of movies that are satirical. No. We have not. If you look at all of the movies that we watch. Not intentionally, at least. Yeah, not intentionally. Well, of course. <laughs> um, the point being this. I had problems similar to yours. I was like, Catherine Keener is playing no one right now. He, she's literally just like an idiot. And yeah, then I was you like, you could okay, cast well, anyone for that. And role. I was like, then the cops are idiots. And then I was like, yeah, and then tracked. the movie studio is idiots. Also then tracked. the actors are idiots. And then honestly, Al Pacino, who has a stuffed doll of Simone and is on the highway, um, like lean down in the passenger seat, <laughs> driving the yeah. car so he can wave the mannequin's arm at his ex-wife to convince her that Simone is real, is also an idiot. That scene, that scene was that was like the most um, tightrope walking scene of the entire movie. I was like, this is about to take a plunge that I'm not ready for. What is truly incredible about satire in film, which is rare. I mean, we could put the best satires of all time. We could hold them in both of our hands. You know what I mean? Right. There just isn't a lot of that to go around. Fast four. Yeah. <laughs> it's an old style of humor. You know what I mean? It's it's kind of a classic style yeah. of humor. Um, now, what that enables you to do as a filmmaker is what I saw in this movie, which is that the things that critics got hung up about about this movie are valid. But ultimately, 
it doesn't matter because when a movie is successfully achieving satire, you don't have to obsess over the tropes that they are either neglecting or doubling down on. Right. When things happen that are like, oh, I've seen this in a thousand movies, which plenty of things in this movie I've seen in a thousand movies, fine. Um, you are given a creative license when you are doing satire right. Now, there are movies where, like, like The Hunt, for example, that we watched, that wasn't really, like, satire fully. It was, but, like, it could have leaned into it a little bit harder. Right. Um, I don't, when I think back on that movie, I think of it more like, uh, a fun action horror movie with like vibes, with like satirical vibes, political vibes, humor. It had satirical undertones. This movie did not need to shift in its tone. It was one tone throughout, pretty much. It was one arc throughout, pretty much. But the satire allowed them to do, in my opinion, things that I would have faulted the movie for if it were not satirical. Um, so many things in this movie, and a lot of my initial notes going through the movie, um, are really me like before I realized that it was a full on satire and and it, to me it's like okay so the movie starts with Victor Taransky director down on his luck Winona Ryder is his actress she's fucking riding him up the wall yeah. he can't deal with her anymore not in a sexy way by the way and it's established that the first quarter of the movie is the setup and the setup is aren't actors so fucking horrible that um, us artsy directors like shouldn't have to work with them. Yeah, and it's that, like the most generic of like shitty actresses. Like her issue is that her trailer isn't big enough, even right. though she has the biggest trailer that they make. But then it becomes that it's not tall enough. Right. She's just like a prima donna. But bitch. then I'm also sitting there like, this is Al Pacino. The man for sure needed a Vietnamese hooker, yeah, right. like who is five foot nine and had no pussy hair, sitting in his trailer when he came back from every single cut. Yeah. Um, that, so, like, for me, I was having all these conflicts of, like, these are the richest people in Hollywood. I, I knew who the director was. I was like, these are successful people. These aren't, like, indie people. They're acting as if they're better than actors. Right. But, like, what I think is hilarious is that directors are just as choosy, right. just as picky, if not worse than actors. So I was like, this is a misguided movie. Like, this is terrible. That first 10 or 15 minutes before I totally got the vibe, there were certain hints. I was like, oh, the movie studio is like empty and weirdly lit and like orange and there's no sound, no diegetic sound. And I was just like, what are we doing here? Is this a dream? Like what? I, I couldn't figure out, are we doing like, this isn't normal reality? Are we doing like, and until it clicked that it, it was working, um, I, I think the bottom line is that a lot of people just, ne it never clicked for. Um, yeah. I think that a dumbass could walk into this movie and be like, that was stupid. Like, yeah. they, they couldn't create a computer that could play a pop show. And, like, there are thousands of, like, notes that I could take that say, like, this digital character doesn't make sense. There's no reason for it to exist. It's improbable that the makeup people would never have to see her, that no one would see her come in and out of set. All these things, these logical fallacies in my mind are coming to life. And I'm like, this is the dumbest idea ever. And they address all of them with and just throw, throwaway one-liners. Yeah, they address every single one of them yeah. with like either throwaway lines, cuts. I mean, he's like, you know, she's reclusive. And there are actresses, you know, back from the 1920s who, um, I think it was Greta Garbo, who yeah. she was known as a reclusive. And then everybody found her more fascinating and like yeah i mean when you start to see what this movie is really doing it's not just like it's 2002 digital effects exist like yeah. ooh, what are the ramifications like it's not like lawnmower man where it's right. totally unaware of itself um it's it's humor and it's black edge uh just it cut perfectly it's trying me. to present a world in which everyone is so blinded by their admiration and an adoration of celebrity culture that they're willing to look past the clear logical fallacies and what they're in love with. Right. Um, so basically this movie kicks off, um, a, a dude named Victor approaches Hank. Um, and, uh, he's like completely insane. He says weird ass fucking things like flesh is weak. Um, <laughs> uh, honestly, like this movie is like low key David Cronenberg esque at times. Um, and, um, this guy is, I guess he was a software programmer. He's missing an eye. Yeah. Which they explain that he was sitting too close to his screen when he was working on Simone. Yeah. And um, funny tale into that is later in the movie when Al Pacino is sitting close to the screen and talking to Simone, a warning comes up and says, you should not sit so close to the screen. 
great little detail. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, the whole movie kind of kicks off where Al Pacino's so sick of actors that he needs to adopt this completely CGI creation. Um, even at this point, I was like, this is stupid. Like, this well, there's, is an a- there's, there's an important aspect where it's like he has a four-picture deal with the studio and his first three pictures get panned. And his fourth one is like his real passion project that he's been wanting to make forever. And they're going to pull the plug on the budget so he can't actually get actresses. No actresses want to work with him because they think he's a pain in the ass. Right. So there's that way that it's shoehorned in there that it's also out of necessity to be able to make his like magnum opus. Um, and and, <laughs> and create his magnum opus, he does. He rents out an entire studio, um, like a hangar on, on the studio set, which is just like a, a large screen TV where he has a microphone. Um, and he creates all of Simone's footage. He puts her, her into his movies. Um, he creates it all by speaking into a microphone as he's watching her face, yeah. which he kind of tuned to look like all these different actresses and think of all of these different voices and and at this point, I was still kind of cringing. And he, a cringe moment for me is like when he first creates her, instead of saying a star is born, he's like, a star is digitized. <laughs> yeah. um, I was like, Jesus yeah, Christ. I really appreciated how no matter how like subdued they tried to make the first act of the character be, he just couldn't help himself but absolutely be Al Pacino. Uh, absolutely not. He was very restrained in this movie. Yeah. Um, there were Restrained some, for Al Pacino. Some classic moments for sure, but like he was pretty restrained in this movie. I don't know who convinced him to not completely act bananas in this movie. I know, especially like, like when, when he's in prison and shit. Yeah, like when he, he gets the third act crazy. Pacino, there was like, I was like, oh, he's about to go full on hua. Um, the moment kind of where I, I felt the shift beginning and was like, Oh my god, like, <laughs> something is really going on in this movie. Um, Al Pacino says, Our ability to manufacture fraud has now surpassed our ability to detect it. And I was like, whoa, somebody with a brain wrote that. Yeah, I'm right. Like, okay. This is the early 2000s, though, like, still kind of cringe, whatever. Then they show Simone on the screen, and she goes, I am the death of real. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, dark. Yeah. Some Hellraiser shit, honest, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. Uh, Lawnmower Man vibes kind of a little bit, too. Um, What I expected out of this movie that did not happen. I thought that Simone was going to become self-aware from the trailer, maybe when I was a kid or or the poster. I thought Al Pacino was going to bang her. That was one thing. I thought he was going to fall in love with her. I thought that was the plot of the movie and it was actually going to be a romantic comedy. It was way fucking off. Um, the movie is actually about Al Pacino getting back together with Catherine Keener, who is his ex-wife. And the yeah, head of the movie and also his boss, and like, yeah, and I don't sexy know. as fuck. Yeah, she is. She's got a little bob cut going appealing. on this one. Holy shit! The family of like Al Pacino, like you got Catherine Keener, prime, gorgeous, Evan Rachel Wood, burgeoning star beautiful girl and then you have like a gargoyle like <laughs> wearing the most ill-fitting slacks ever there's like this there's this period of time in the 90s and 2000s where all of Al Pacino's slacks were ill-fitting and then I don't know if he's got a weird frame like a bad waistline or something but like do you notice that he's got like parachute no, pants on no, all his movies in heat he's packing all this parachute heat um I, like <laughs> he, he looks like he's like standing under a fan sometimes he's like uh, just the David Byrne suit but just the pants what a weird streak for Pacino like oh Oh, yeah. It was like Hoo-ah. this, then like insomnia. Insomnia, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's my chance to expand my range! Um, I was about to say that. Uh, so, uh, you know, at moments I thought at this point that it was going to get creepy, um, and it didn't happen. No. But, but there was one line where I was like, okay, now we're going to get creepy. Now this is a movie blues movie. Now we're going to go into the dumpster. Um Al Pacino spends all of his time with Simone. Even when he's not controlling her, he sits and drinks and smokes yeah, cigarettes and like talks to her. Slowly unraveling. It's for sure a multiple personality yeah. within about forty minutes yeah. of the movie. Under the pressure of having to keep this secret. Like the movie he makes the first movie with Simone thinking it's just gonna be a thing to get his career back. And the movie's just a fucking monster hit. Right. And then it kinda descends into being more about uh, you know, his vanity and his inability to reconcile the fact that his made-up creation is getting more attention than he himself as the creator. Um, but I did, at one point, before all of that genius shit rolled out, thought it was going to get fucking creepy and weird because Al Pacino and his giant slacks sits down on the couch like that's in the room with Simone. He, he looks at her and he, he's drinking whiskey and he's just like, I'm so relaxed around you. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no. Yeah. 
There's for sure a deleted scene no. where he just slowly fucking goes downstairs. And oh, I've got a boner! <laughs> cranking and one out. giant slacks! <laughs> <laughs> that sounds a terrible bitch. Yeah, I'm not even trying. It's not, I'm more interested in re- reviewing the movie this time. Uh, dude, I have all these skits and the gold opens and the talking robot, and we got one later. Like, you do the Pacino. My throat is hoarse. I'm sick. First of all, update. Again, every time we do this podcast, either one of us is dying. Yeah, COVID update twenty twenty one. COVID update twenty twenty one is I was forced against my will to get the vaccine and it has nearly yeah, killed me. Joe Biden physically held him down. He was like, "Here's the deal: <laughs> you, if you're gonna play the, you know, if you're playing the jam band, you're gonna need the shot, Bucko." And I was like, "Okay, you fucking old." Puppet, you sick, withered man. It's weird that you weren't able to overpower the likes of Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm very weak from the vaccine. <laughs> um, so, um, <laughs> at this point, I mean, uh, like Dan was saying, Al Pacino casts um, Simone in the movie that he couldn't get Winona Ryder to, Winona Ryder to perform in. Um, it's, it's a huge hit. Um, it's still at this point where kind of the movie could have gone to shit, but it's really the second half of the movie where I felt like things really started to shine. hoo So it's at this point where, um, Simone becomes famous. Not, like, famous like, um, normal famous, like Madonna, top yeah. of the most famous yeah. chain you can be, overtakes Victor Taransky's career, overtakes and overshadows Victor Taransky himself. Um... It was about this point where I was like, I get what's going on here. Yeah. This this rocks. Like, this is insane. I could have done without the subplot of, like, the private eyes. Like, fucking Jason Schwartzman yeah. is in this movie. So, yeah, like, Jason Schwartzman is in this movie as a uh, very young. Yeah. As a private eye, like, the sidekick to the serial killer for from Identity. Yeah. Um, uh, he's, like... For a while, and and this is the problem with this movie in some ways, is that, like, for a while, they kind of make you think that that's going to be the plot. Yeah. They're like, oh, these guys are going to take him down, and they do not. Yeah, it's just two guys. They end up falling in love with Simone. Two guys determined to unravel the mystery of Simone and why she's so reclusive, and they, you know, it takes all these turns. They get convinced that he's holding her hostage, like... I mean, ultimately, their arc is that they become huge Simone fans. Yeah, they're just fucking goofy comedic characters that, like, honestly, if <laughs> their entire plot the got yes. eliminated, that would have been the half hour that needed to be shaved from the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Like, it literally was a nonsense yeah. a the, nonsense duo of characters. The only have. redeeming scene of that was when they, uh, they pay this one, um, they pay this one concierge to get access to Al Pacino's room after he and Simone were supposedly in there. And the main guy tells Jason Schwartzman to wait outside so he can dust for fingerprints and shit. And he goes in and just, there's a montage of him just, like, trying to smell, like, the toilet seat that Simone was on. (laughs) But it's all just, like, where Al Pacino had just been shown taking a shit. (laughs) The movie then shifts into obsession. Um, uh, The public's obsession with Simone, um... Even Al Pacino's family is obsessed with Simone. Everyone... He immediately makes another movie with Simone. Yes. He follows (laughs) it up with a one-two punch. Again, I could have been sitting and watching a movie where I'd be like, how on earth would you pull this off once or even twice is more insane. Um, But at this point, the wheels are off. And this movie becomes a full satire. The, uh... (laughs) It's a tie for best picture at the Oscars between both Simone movies. Um... Why we brought up Entourage earlier and why I wanted to mention it again is because when you watch Entourage and they're like, oh, um, Vinny Chase is the greatest actor of all time, and then they show his movies and he's terrible yeah, in them. Yeah, the worst. That was kind of the same yeah, thing same here. Yeah, same exact vibe. Um, the where, movies looked awful. <laughs> where they showed Simone's scenes, they were super bad, and... I, I can only imagine people just it went right over their head. They were right. just like, oh, what? Like, that's supposed to be the best movie? Like, yeah, that's what's fucking hilarious about it is because um, there is a commentary in there about, like, the movies that do win for Best Picture at the Academy Awards are typically, like, really overwrought, super emotional, yeah. cheesy. I mean, especially no one... in the early 2000s. That was, like, right. definitely a low Absolutely. point. That was, like, this was, like, right after Shakespeare in Love won Best Picture, <laughs> undeservedly so. This movie would, like, kind of, like, Tropic Thunder, where they're showing um, Robert Downey Jr.'s career. Yeah, right. Um, that is this whole movie. Yeah. It's like a whole movie about Robert Downey Jr.'s character. Yeah, kind just of. like melodrama. Um, and um, uh, yeah, the <laughs> the scenes of her movies are uh, terrible, but they do culminate 
in Al Pacino, like when he tries to then dismantle Simone, <laughs> he yeah. creates a movie called I Am Pig yeah, where for her to where star in. And direct. This and was, this yeah, was, this, this was Simone's debut. directorial debut. Um, and you're greeted with a scene in which Simone is in a wedding dress yes. in like a very sepia... Very, very blue, ver- yeah, like, just like world cinema vibe, yeah. crawling through a fucking sea of mud to get to a pig trough and just start bobbing for apples, and people are in the in the audience are like vomiting, and Al Pacino's in the back like, yes, like finally people are gonna realize that Simone's a fucking hack, right. and they just you know. Which, like, this is a lot like the producers, by Yeah, the way. you know exactly what's going to happen in this moment. There's a long pause, yeah. and everyone just goes fucking ape <laughs> shit for it. For yeah. it. <laughs> She's literally eating out of a pig trough, like, with her face covered in mud, going... Yeah. And, and it's standing ovation. Um, nothing Al Pacino can do uh, can undo the extent to which he's fooled the world, his family, and himself into this whole guy. Yeah. Like, I kind of felt like it was, like... A commentary on like I was thinking about what time period and like there had to have been some actors in mind when they were writing this movie of who sucks at acting that is just becoming the most unbelievable star and I just kept landing on Ben Affleck (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean um, this was a time when uh, the movie star was really a thing Um, it, it no longer it's lost a lot of its luster Mostly for like political reasons and and beyond, but like that was like the final age of like super movie stars, yeah. and and to have like Winona Ryder and Rebecca Romaine, like people like that in the movie, kind of like cemented that well. Yeah. And the fact that like they have Rebecca Romaine in it, begging to be anything like Simone, saying to Al Pacino like "fuck me like you fuck Simone," yeah, like that kind of shit is so dark. And then the fact that he doesn't. Yeah, that I mean, was the darkest. Again, in a normal movie, I would have been like minus ten thousand points for the scene. No man is going to shut down two thousand two. Rebecca remains Stamos O'Connell yeah. in a fucking cocktail dress, straddling him. And so, quick sidebar: I think the funniest joke that ever happened in any of the Comedy Central roasts is when Greg Giraldo just screams into the crowd because Rebecca remains in the crowd. You fuck the fat kid from Stand by Me. That's so true. (laughs) Look, he really worked on himself. Um, Jerry O'Connell was kind of a celebrity then, too. Tom Tom Katz was a hot picture. (laughs) Sliders, get out of here. Shit is fucking fire. Um, Yeah, so um, (laughs) the only really, like, emotionally satisfying moment that I looked forward to in this movie, because it was kind of playing multiple sides of being serious and non was just like the eventual scene that would take place where Al Pacino would have to tell Catherine Keener that Simone does not exist. Right. Um, And even that scene undercut your expectations in every way. Like he tells her and she does not believe him because he has fooled Everyone, it's unfathomable so, at this point. Yeah, it would he's be had like concerts t- with her. He's yeah. had movies with her. At I this mean, point, it would literally be like if, like, your spouse, your ex spouse, turned to you <laughs> and was like, "I invented Lady Gaga. <laughs> she's not real. She's a computer program." Yeah, you'd be like, you'd, be, you'd not. be like, "No, I've seen her." Right. She waved to me on the highway. <laughs> <laughs> um, of course, the only one who can figure it out is the fucking kid. Like, right. Of course, but it uh, worked. She seemed smart enough. I did enjoy the whole... The kid was more human than almost all the characters yeah, in the movie. I, more I def- rational. I definitely enjoyed the, the plot thread of Al Pacino getting arrested for... Dude, that is when the movie went to... Mwah. Yeah. So Al Pacino... Um, and I didn't even see this coming, yeah. honestly, for a while. Al Pacino uh, fakes Simone's death because he cannot get away from her shadow. Yeah. And he does so by taking all the hard drives, throwing them in the ocean off of his boat called the Simone, um, and um, you know, announcing her funeral, for some reason, putting a cardboard cutout into the fucking <laughs> coffin yeah, right. that they fakely put. Yeah. Which, by the way, then when they put the coffin down, did you hear what the one actor said? Yeah, he's like, it felt light. <laughs> <laughs> Jay Moore. Yeah. Jay Moore yeah, also Jay, in this movie. Jay Moore with some weight on him in this yeah. film. And also, like, some emotional weight because he was, like, playing the straight man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was his first 
movie post mafia. Right. <laughs> God, I think I've ever really seen that movie. I think I have. I've seen some of the gags. I've wanted movie. to do it for this podcast because there's a oh movie God, I had on VHS as a kid that I absolutely adored. But oh, like, I feel no. like any movie that I thought was hysterical as a seven year old, there's mm. no way is actually fucking hysterical. This is how we find the stuff. You yeah. know what I mean? This is how the fucking wine gets made. Yeah. Jay Moore's an interesting it. guy. He is. I read, I read his book. He's pretty untalented. Yeah. <laughs> yeah very un- <laughs> an unspectacular actor. He's like a... You know who I watch now is Jamie Kennedy. He has his own YouTube channel where he sits around and he's just like fat and balding and depressed and just talks about what went wrong in his career. Uh, like, made, <laughs> like starting it? He like, made... No, I mean, like, he talks about the Malibu's most wanted days as, like, the golden days. Like, he was on top of the world, and, and studios came to him and were like, five-picture deal. Let's do it. And instead, he took... Instead of all the deals offered to him, he took Son of the Mask, and it destroyed his life. <laughs> yeah, what a fucking moron. Jay Moore is substantially more talented yes, than... Yes, yeah, Jay yeah Moore, absolutely. To anyone interested, Jay Moore wrote a book that's just about the two years he spent on SNL and how he was just mercilessly bullied backstage. Wow. And it is dark. <laughs> by who, the other actors? Yeah, by all the castmates, the writers, how no one would write for him because they all thought he was unfunny. Yeah, I mean, he is. So yeah, right. That's, that's what happens when you go to SNL and you kind of suck. Yeah. They, they just torture you. Yeah. Or they glorify you like Pete Davidson. Yeah. We get it, like your parents died. Yeah, we get it, you're blonde now. Ugh. He, he's friends with um, Machine Gun Kelly, which is just like a, a zero pattern for knowing that you're a piece of shit. Yeah, that means nothing to me. <laughs> um, I saw Pete Davidson do stand-up once. Anyway, um, it ends up in the movie that uh, in, in destroying Simone, he alerts the police. The police investigate him and decide that there's no objective reason not to believe that he didn't actually murder Simone. Right. Um, well, so all, the, all the, all the quote-unquote evidence points towards it. Right. <laughs> because basically Al Pacino, in his fucking manic haze, comes up with the idea that, like, all right, I'm going to throw a press conference where I walk up to the mic and say, Simone tragically passed, and then turn around and walk away, and there's going to be no further exploration or investigation into that. Everyone worldwide is devastated. Um, there's, I mean, obviously there's no evidence of Simone having existed. Right. But there's also, like, there's no reason to think the police would not investigate that. Sure. And the only actions he took leading up to that are going onto a boat after walking around his fucking, his studio office yelling at fucking cardboard cutouts of Simone that he, like, <laughs> wants her to die. Yeah. And then dragging a fucking giant oversized chest. Like, all of these hard drives could have fit into yeah. a single backpack. I instead. mean, why did you need to throw a hard drive in the ocean at all? Yeah, right. He already erased the disc. Just throw it in the trash. Well, so the way they try to explain this is, okay. like, what I had been thinking the whole time is I was like, this is going to be, like, this is the richest celebrity in history. Where's all the money going to? So, like, they touch upon the fact that yeah. Al Pacino is committing massive wire fraud with all of her money. Right. So he's like, I have to destroy the hard drives so there's no... Because if it gets found out even that there were hard drives, I could get... This could be evidence of my fraud. Fine, whatever. It's not the most, like, well-thought-out fucking explanation. No. What's definitely right. not the most well-thought-out explanation is why he had to bring a human-sized fucking chest full of hard disks <laughs> to, to dump, to dispose of exactly the same way that people dispose of bodies. Right. So, then with the, so that we could then see a CCTV footage of them, like, somehow they got him on camera dumping this huge chest in right. the ocean. Um, the bottom line is that, yeah, this is when, like, I was like, damn, this is the shit. Like, they've got him in jail, and, and they come in, um, the dude from Clive Barker's Masters of Illusion, he's, like, one of the most sinister-looking actors in the world. I do not know his name. Um, he's fantastic. But he comes in, he always plays, like, cops and serial killers, yeah. so two of the worst people on Earth. Right. And, um, That's right. He comes in, and he's like, uh, or in the case of the Clive Barker movie, he's just a magician, but he's a very evil one. Um, he comes in and he literally sets up the case so that it's literally airtight. Yeah. And I was like, oh, oh, wow. Please end the movie now. Yeah, right. Please end the movie with Al Pacino broke, penniless, wearing different, like, orange slacks, um, <laughs> like, wasting away in prison. And like, they kind of have him in, like, a Hannibal Lecter-esque fucking, like, yeah. cube. <laughs> and, like, oh, dude, the cops, like, take all the evidence and, like, string it on clotheslines in the interrogation room all creepy. And he's like, no, I'll take you to the ocean where I dumped her body. Hoo-ah! <laughs> 
And that gets explained away in the dumbest fucking way ever. They bring, because, yeah. like, right away, I'm like, just take them to the chest. They'll see it's full of hard drives. So they mm-hmm. fucking dig out the chest from the ocean. It's empty, of course. And they explain that they're like, sharks ate it. Right. I'm just like, the chest was closed <laughs> still. No, I didn't, Dan. This was such a genius. Dude, th- this movie is so good. Like, it was such a genius moment, right? The diver goes down, comes up with the chest. The hard drives are not in the chest. Al Pacino's like, the hard drives! Like, where are they? And and they explain to him, like, oh, well, they're not in there, and we're not going to go back down. Because why? Because they're sharks. And then the camera zooms back. We see a shark fin, and then that image of the shark fin in front of the boat then turns into a newspaper that says shark infested water sharks thought to have eaten Samoa yeah right so then that explains where our body is yeah. I was like oh my god this is good like there's just so much like it's like Mel Brooks level yeah um, it was like, like Kafka-esque yeah it was <laughs> dude it was an experience and and yes it was like a Hollywood movie so they had to get him out at the end his daughter and this emotional arc that was satisfying I think for the whole family to get back together I was hoping that that would happen for whatever reason and if you care about like as a child of divorce I didn't care Jesus Jesus Christ. (laughs) It's the darkest moment yet, honestly. Is that what it's like? Fuck. You watch movies like this and you're just like, yeah, honestly. I'm just like, that would never happen. Um, uh, yeah, so, uh, the bottom line is he, he ends up with his family. Simone, though, uh, again, they kind of subverted my expectations. I thought they were going to keep her dead. She comes back to life. Al Pacino is allowed to do even more, uh, with the help of his daughter and yeah, his wife. Yeah, it turns out Catherine Keener and his daughter are the most fucking devious out of everyone. Yeah, well, yeah, they're women. So, um, <laughs> we know that, uh, first and foremost, is that if they would have given, if he would have given the power of Simone to Catherine Keener in the first scene of the movie he would have had a great life yeah right so uh the bottom line is this movie fucking ruled um i'm gonna give it an 8.2 i'm cool with that so should we not say what happens at the end like what they do with simone for people who want to watch it yeah let the surprise you know what for once let's not ruin a surprise and and you should watch this movie to see the final scene you should know that what they set up (laughs) is is that al pacino is going to be absolved and let free yeah, and that, that should, and he'll just get together with his family, and that'll be it. And instead, the route they go is exactly the route that would be taken if something as powerful as Simone, as Simone did exist. It's dark. Yeah, it's super dark. The implications for a sequel are huge. Yeah, such a thing would. Never I know the happen. critics ruined the sequel that could have been. Okay, Dan, you ready for a little? Uh, you want to write the thing on the board? Should we do that real quick, yeah. and then do we'll do our last little segment? Uh, All right, so I'm going eight point two. Yeah. But, like, seriously, this movie was good, so everyone do your best. Currently in the lead for season four is 2002 Simone. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Wait, wait, I gotta change my, I'm gonna change my Last Temptation of Christ um, score. Uh, I've been listening to the soundtrack constantly. I just keep thinking about the movie. I'm watching interviews with Willem Dafoe about it. All right, you previously gave it a seven. Um, I'm going to give it an eight. Making the new leader of season four of the Movie Blues podcast, Simone. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Okay, um, great. Um, All right, Dan, you ready for our our final little game? Yeah. Uh, Today's game is called Simone or Strange Love. Okay. I'm going to read you uh, a smattering of words from a review from Rotten Tomatoes. It is either from the movie Simone or from your favorite movie of all time, Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Okay. <clears throat> Quote, a brilliant satire. Dr. Strangelove. Simone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I didn't see any positive reviews of Simone. <laughs> I had to dig pretty hard. <laughs> this film is always saying something, and a viewer would have to be deaf and blind not to recognize the targets of the sarcasm. Simone. Dr. Strangelove. Oh my god. I, I just need to say that the fucking, the reviewers of Simone, the reviews that I read, like, talk about a group of self-important fucking assholes mm-hmm. that really just reinforce why I hate movie critics as a whole. Like, yep. talk about people who just could not accept that this movie was skewering everything that they hold dear. It literally took the piss out of everything. Yeah. No one was safe. Even yeah. the general public. The reviews. Everyone. Literally, was, was it was like, it was like four out of ten. Does insane. not go deep enough with the satire. Are you kidding? Four like, out of ten goes way too heavy-handed with the satire. That was like every review. It's insane. Yeah. 
Um, anyway. Um. <laughs> Raises some interesting and troubling questions. Simone. Simone. Okay. <laughs> A decidedly underwhelming entry within the director's increasingly spotty body of work. Dr. Strangelove. That is correct. Who, what fucking asshole wrote that? <laughs> I don't know. But it, it can be found Increasingly spotty body of work. Yes, this was a negative review, one of about four so, on Rotten Tomatoes. So what were what were the previous spotty entries in Kubrick's fucking body uh, of work? Somebody was really upset with um Paths of Glory. Yeah. <laughs> um The director proves himself as one of the great emerging satirists with this creepy funny film. Doctor Strangelove. Simone. To me, this film is an evil thing about an evil thing. You'll have to make up your own mind about it. Strange love. Correct. A remarkable movie, if only for effectively burying its theme beneath good red herrings. Simone. Correct. Okay. Definitely a hilarious movie, taking shots at anything and everything in its sight. Simone. Dr. Strangelove. Okay. Brilliantly created... Creative and hilarious, a wild and silly farce that holds nothing back in its gutsy attempt to abandon every ounce of sanity. Simone. Correct. <laughs> like a morbidly sick Looney Tunes short with its cartoon heroes struggling impotently. Simone. Dr. Strangelove. Wow. <laughs> Who's the hero of Dr. Strangelove? <laughs> I don't know. Just like politicians? Yeah. That was, the best the I, that was the best I ever did at that game. Yeah, you I, did really good. I did that by just everything that I thought the answer was... I'd said the opposite. <laughs> Usually, yes. Usually I get you way more. Yeah. Um, this segment brought to you by my bad faith argument style. Um, yeah, looking for the one of four bad strange you. love reviews yeah. and the one of four uh, positive Simone reviews. Let me tell you, I read uh, four negative Dr. Strange love reviews and they were yeah. really loaded with um, their own bullshit. Yeah, talk about some fucking McCarthyist cunts. So, Dan, any further thoughts you'd like to add? I, I, I don't, I, like, I really am always so taken aback when I like the movie we watch. Yeah, please remember this the next time you're like, oh, the movies we have to watch, oh, I hate it, it's so boring. Is that what I'm like? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> yes. Look, now that every season there's a noticeable change in tone once we get Fast and the Furious out of the way. Yeah, I mean, this is the beginning. That thing hangs over my head like a fucking scythe. <laughs> Every fucking season, I'm just like, how can I put this off? Would you rather us do a, a Bond every season, or it's just as bad, or worse? At this point, a Bond would be more refreshing than a Fast and Furious movie, I'll tell you that much, but I hate both of them. I think it's probably a wash, at least, like, the Fast and the Furious ones have shit to laugh at, whereas the Bond ones are just all two and a half hours long, and they're just fucking, I don't know, it's it's a wash. At one point in my notes, I referred to this movie as Death to Smoochie meets Weekend at Bernie's in VR. Yeah, there was definitely a weekend at Bernie's element that was absolutely <laughs> ludicrous. Dude, there were so many things inside this movie. It was it was packed with theme, like emotion, like jokes, in jokes, all sorts of insanity. What what did this guy go on to make after this? I don't know. I have to check did into that. I would assume career. this ruined his career. Yeah, I would assume that because people probably put a lot of good faith in him to make this one good and like this movie honestly, looked expensive if you sit down and watch like this and Truman Show of course Truman Show is better yeah. That that's without a doubt but like this isn't that bad no they're definitely and also Gattaca uh, fucking of the slaps. same mind for sure just weird weird uh, body who work. directed Truman Show Peter Weir I think so yeah nice that Qual- seemed, quality, that, quality crew that seemed like a higher job yeah um what was the movie I heard the other day that had, um, like, the craziest cast of all time and, like, the craziest people of all time? I'll have to tell you after the podcast. It was so Was funny. it Simone? It was not Simone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, Congo. Um, I was watching a video about Congo, and it was directed by the two creators of Amblin. Okay. The creature effects were done by Yeah, that's like a, Stan that's like a fucking, like, snake horror movie, right? Like No, the like... apes in the jungle. Okay. You never seen Congo? No. Oh my god, what? Okay, I'm sorry. Um, well, you weren't really like, maybe you weren't old enough in the sense that I saw Jurassic Park when I was like seven. Yeah. And it like destroyed me. Like destroyed me. And then 
Taco Bell and all these places were like hyping up Congo. Like this is the new movie from the guy who made Jurassic Park. Here's a Congo watch. Right. Like here's the Congo cup. And they're like, oh shit, this is going to be like Jurassic Park. Yeah. And everybody like rushed to him was like, this is going to be the best movie ever. And it was yeah, bad. I was busy being it was like very four. bad. And it's not even like I would do it on this podcast. It's yeah. just kind of a waste of time. I, uh, on, on that note, on the Amblin note, I, uh, early in the podcast, I think I made a commitment to bring up like, the, we were joking about the gaps in the classic movies that I just have not seen. Yeah. And when one comes up, I said I'd bring it up, and one came up that I got skewered for at home. What? Uh, I've not seen E.T. What? Dude. Should we watch that for the podcast? Is that, oh a, is, is that, a, is that a good picture? I mean, I, I weep every time I watch that movie. I was watching the Spielberg documentary, and oh, I was like... What the... <laughs> I was like, huh. This Are looks, you kidding this looks me? important. You haven't seen E.T. <laughs> no. The extraterrestrial. No. I'm familiar with uh the, the, Then you literally have never seen like a Steven Spielberg <laughs> movie. Like it doesn't it hasn't happened I've, for you I've yet. seen I've seen Catch Me If You Can. Oh my god, I have to like watch it with you. I have to be like in the same room as you just, <laughs> just weeping like a yeah, giant. Yeah, I wanna baby. watch a grown man weep. <laughs> Bro, no, it's not like um, it's not like a Disney movie. It's not like, dude. It's okay. Here's the thing. Uh, like, about I've E.T. already gotten pitched into oblivion about why I need to watch. Because <laughs> like, I was like, I was like, look, like it's not about for me. It's not about the creature. I think he looks kind of dumb, honestly. And they've redone the effects. I don't know if you know this. That they did a special edition. Just like what Star they made. Wars. They made all the guns walkie talkies. Not that. Whatever. That's such a popular fact. But they took a lot of the shots of ET and turned him into a digital creature. Okay. Which I think are almost. That better. always works. No, I think it's almost better in this case because the original ET is good when I was like three and saw it, but like it doesn't hold up quite as much. I mean, I'm sure I'll get skewered somewhere for saying this, but uh, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. The bottom line for me with E.T. is that you get the best John Williams Amblin score ever. It is the most classic one imaginable, and you get the neighborhood bicycle riding vibe of like the most perfect arid Steven Spielberg poltergeist ish almost like perfect rural representation of like what it was like to be a child then and when I saw E.T. I was like this is exactly my life I was the same age as the kid I looked exactly like the kid when I was a kid um yeah man dude E.T. Jesus Christ next next week mafia the week after (laughs) (laughs) et all right we should probably uh cut this shit off yeah yeah probably just cut out the whole part where i haven't seen et that is going up front in front of 12 cold opens (laughs) all right anyway um uh tune in for our next episode which is supposed to be at this point gili versus jersey girl um it's our alien versus predator requiem-esque uh, meeting of the giants, if yeah. you will. Yeah. Um, this is however this is what Godzilla versus Kong was supposed to be. It's deeply irresponsible that you haven't seen E. T. And that like maybe maybe after like my party um next weekend, I'll like just watch or during my party, I'll just watch E. T. with you. What what when you're drumming for seven hours? I'm gonna drum for like probably two and a half. I'm like we're going to come and review E.T. for the podcast. You're going to be like, how was it? I'm going to be like, it was fine. It was a kid's movie. Fuck! <laughs> yeah, I mean, how would how would a grown man with the cynicism level that you operate at enjoy E.T.? I think, I think now that you are a seasoned movie podcaster yeah. that you will see what's so special about it. Cat seems to think it'll have the same effect that Hook had on me when I watched it for the first time a few months ago. Which, which was, was that, what? Which was that I never watched it because... Hook is wh- brilliant. When I was a kid... I got the mask on VHS when I was like four, and from then on, then forward, I did not care about kids' movies. I never watched another kids' movie. It's why I've never seen like any Disney movies. Like I only wanted to watch like Jim Carrey movies. Mm. ET, I was like, that's a kids' movie. I don't care. It seems too whimsical. Um, and she was like, it's it's not whimsical. Like you know how we watched Hook, and you were like, oh, this is fucking dark. Like ET also gets dark. ET like, is very dark. ET is about divorce. That's the point of ET as a movie. Um, and beyond that. E.T. is fascinating uh, for so many reasons, especially like they shoot so many of the adults from the waist down and they obscure so many of the adults' faces, almost like peanuts. like Charlie Brown. So that you get the feeling of what the kid is going through. There's uh, E.T. is like 10 out of 10 for me. I, I can't imagine. 
I mean, I haven't seen it in a few years. Maybe I'll watch it. No, it's not happening. <laughs> E.T. E- e- is just... I don't know if I could review it correctly. Like, you could probably watch it and be like, eh, just, eh. So it holds up with, like, the greater Spielberg works, like the Polar Express? <sighs> um, no. I would rate a lot of his movies higher than E.T., but what I think... What I think we're, you're missing in this discussion is just that that is just a certain era of Spielberg, the bicycle in the neighborhood Spielberg era, if you will, um, where him and all the movies he was producing and Goonies and things like that were all like, this is what it's like to be a kid right now. And that was like mind blowing for audiences. And it was incredible. And that's what made Amblin what it is. And there's no movie that exemplifies that right. better than E.T. There's a funny moment in my life of when I fr- was in fifth grade and I first saw Jay and Son Bob Strike Back, and there's this the shot where he goes, they go up the ramp on the bicycle and go past the moon billboard for what ends up being Ben Affleck and Moon Raper. But you're like, what's this? Literally, and and my <laughs> my, my friend was like E.T. and I was like <laughs> I was like oh yeah because I didn't want to say I hadn't seen E.T. and it's haunted me. It is a kids movie. I'll give it that, but it's not a kid's movie in the same way as, like, watching Hercules is. Like, <laughs> the animated Disney movie, you know what I mean? Or watching Tarzan. Right. Like, it's not, like, something that I would... It's something I will show my future child, but yeah. it's not something that I would say most people would show their <laughs> Before you dark. neglect him to his nanny. It's about... Um, <laughs> By that, you mean it's something you'll have his nanny show him. This is something While you're I'll podcasting the, in the basement I'll about duets. The, I'll have it on the nanny queue. Yeah. Which is actually just going to be an, an, an AI app on my giant TV that's going to raise my child for me. I mean, that's what my parents did without the app. <laughs> See, look how I mean, that worked look, out. Look, kid, this is called Doom Eternal. Yeah. This my, is Resident Evil. <laughs> yeah. My dad was like, sure, we can see scary movie in the theaters. You're eight. Dan, this is fun. We should do this again. Yeah, perhaps. Podcasting is fine. I'm looking forward to Jersey Girl vs. Geely. Me too. Geely. Um, Who knows which direction that's going to so go. You, so you've determined that you have seen one of those films. I have seen Jersey Girl on HBO when I was a teenager at my grandparents' house. I thought it was a charming, semi-realistic feeling romantic comedy. I was obsessed with Liv Tyler. Uh, like any kid, I think my age could and should have been. Um... And I thought Ben Affleck was terrible in it. Like, he is in everything. Do you know anything about the production crew of Jersey Girl? No. Okay. Not exactly. Will, will you do me a favor and not look up anything about Jersey Girl when you watch it? Gladly. Okay. <laughs> I think I'm probably going to take the reins on that episode a little bit more than usual. But if you're going to, like, just regurgitate a Kevin Smith YouTube video for 45 minutes about the troubled production in, in this studio, told me I was too fat, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we'll see you guys uh, for that one. That'll be at the end of the month, probably. Can't wait. Okay. Bye. Oh, we're not doing the baby thing anymore. It's not popular with Prince Philip being dead now.